0: I'm Katherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Katherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Adia Harvey, author and professor of sociology, Washington University in St. Louis. Her new book is Flatlining, Race, Work, and Healthcare in the New Economy. What happens to black healthcare professionals in the new economy? Where work is insecure and organizational resources are scarce, Adia Harvey-Wingfield, PhD, exposes how hospitals, clinics, and other institutions participate in racial outsourcing, relying heavily on black doctors, nurses, technicians, and physicians' assistants to do equity work, extra labor that makes organizations and their services more accessible to communities of color. She argues that as these organizations become more profit-driven, they come to depend on black healthcare professionals to perform equity work to serve increasingly diverse constituencies. She's, uh, Dr. Wingfield has lectured internationally on her research in this area, has published her work in numerous peer-reviewed journals, and is a contributing writer for the Atlantic, Slate, and Harvard Business Review. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here today. Adia, Dr. Thank Wingfield. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Hi, thank okay, you for having b- me. Yeah, great book, interesting topic. I was talking to one of my colleagues about it and some and they said to me, what, what cause in the introduction I was talking, you, you I mentioned perform equity work to serve increasingly diverse constituencies. Equity work, what is equity work?
1: So that's a key part of the main argument that I make in the book. Uh, one of the things that I argue is that as organizations have become more profit driven and more focused on their economic bottom lines, They still say that they prioritize racial diversity but don't actually devote the resources to actually achieving it. And so I argue that they do a process that I called racial outsourcing, where they leave that work up to black professionals, who I argue then do what I refer to as the equity work of actually doing the labor of making organizations more accessible to communities of color. So this can involve trying to make sure that communities communities of color feel more included, that uh, workers of color have access to job opportunities, that they have mentoring and support they need in order to succeed. But it's basically all the work that's necessary for making organizations the inclusive spaces that they often say that they want to be.
0: Mm-hmm. But what happens to the actual, the, the per, like the, as you just, and I think you obviously discuss this in the book when you, that's a whole extra I don't know why you call it a burden, but that's another responsibility for black professionals, doctors, nurses, uh, healthcare care professionals. Right. I mean, that's. Yeah, a, I
1: think. Yeah. Yeah. I think both responsibility and burden are the right words to use here. It's a responsibility that many black professionals take on because they feel that it's important for black workers and patients or customers to have access to these spaces. But because it becomes an additional job that they do on top of the jobs that they are already hired to do. And because they often do it without the support and resources of the organizations where they work, it does become a burden because it doesn't often have the levels of institutional support and it's not spread equally throughout the the organization in ways that would make it less of a burden and more of a shared responsibility.
0: So in the book, you give examples, real life examples, which I always like to use because I think it really helps people to understand what we're talking about. So you you talk about uh, an ER doctor, for instance, who works in a community where he lived and now he's an ER doctor in that community um, and he's black and most of the or many of the patients that he sees are black. How do, Give us an example of what the challenges are to someone like that.
1: Right. So in a situation like that, um, that doctor in particular really illustrates a lot of the issues that I wanted to highlight in the book. Uh, First of all, he works in a hospital that's a public hospital. It's publicly funded by uh, state resources and taxes, which means that in line with the ways that our economy has shifted, public resources get a lot less support than they used to in previous eras. So he's already working in a hospital that's underfunded, that doesn't have the resources that it really needs in order to work as effectively and comprehensively as many of the employees there would like. So that's one issue. On top of that, we have this worker who works in an environment where his patients that he serves are predominantly people of color. They're mostly black and Latino. They often are people who are uninsured or underinsured. And so what that means is that the additional work that he ends up doing Becomes not just providing care for patients, but making sure that they get respectful, uh, kind of com- respectful, um, equitable, honest care from him as a practitioner. And on the one hand, we might think, sure, well, that's pretty basic to what we might expect from a doctor. But what I learned from my research is that many healthcare workers don't necessarily feel that black and Latino and uh, uninsured or poor patients. Get that type of respectful, uh, respected care. And they are very aware of the ways that patients of color can be mistreated in the healthcare system, and particularly so if they are patients of color who are poor. So part of that doctor's work becomes not just dealing with the under-resourced, um, environment where he's employed. But making sure that he's kind of observing how patients are being treated, that he's being mindful of how his colleagues may treat patients and make assumptions about them, that he's offsetting those stereotypes, and that he's doing going above and beyond to make sure that the patients that he's treating get fair, respectful, uh, very equitable care.
0: I mean, as you're describing it, it seems that, you know we use the word burden. It it sounds overwhelming. I mean, it it it's uh, f- to have that kind of a responsibility. And to be probably, I I, I, I mean, I don't know what this this particular institution that you're talking about is, but, uh, you know, how many black physicians do they have? I mean, you know, is he doing this by himself uh, or is he surrounded by support or probably not?
1: Right. I mean, I think yeah. So that's that's another key factor of it. That doctors who are black are very underrepresented in the healthcare system. I believe that do- black doctors comprise maybe about six percent of our working physicians today. So when you factor that out across what it looks like across uh, healthcare communities across the country, in most cases, black doctors are going to be very underrepresented in their workplaces. That's just the consequence of the numbers. So when we think about what that means to be in an environment where you are It's not the only one, one of very few in your environment, but you're also tasked with doing the grueling work that doctors have to do as part of their jobs. It's a very time-intensive, it's a very emotionally intensive type of work. And then add on to that, that if you are a black doctor, that work doesn't just include treating patients and doing charts and uh, keeping up with electronic medical records. It also includes making sure that patients who may be in your practice are not being stereotyped and dismissed as potential drug users by your white colleagues or by your white supervisors, which was something that doctors reported happens pretty frequently. It also means that whenever there are uh, individuals who are younger who might be interested in seeking the medical profession as a job, you're opening yourself up to them and being the mentor and the guide to help them have the tools they need to succeed because you also know as a black doctor that social networks matter enormously in this profession and that black doctors are likely to have fewer of them. On top of that, it might mean that you engage in clinic work and doing other uh, types of work out in communities to make sure that, again, patients of color who are disproportionately like to be un- or underinsured have access to medical treatment that may not necessarily take place in the hospital. So I think you're right to point out that the numbers of this really matter. We're talking about black doctors doing not only, again, a very grueling and time sense, time-intensive job, but adding on the racial dynamics that magnify the levels and amount of work that they actually end up doing. And again, often doing so in organizations and settings that don't count that and don't take that into consideration when it comes to compensation, recognition, or anything else. Yeah. Well, how can
0: they do that? I guess that's my next question. I mean, institutions like what well, we're talking about a medical facility, what specifically can they or should they be doing to alleviate these or to help alleviate these kinds of just support, I guess is really the word, to support black physicians? Yeah.
1: So that's a great question. And I think that um, there are things that organizations can do. And the primary one I think involves creating and establishing a more shared responsibility for increasing diversity in institutions than is currently present. I think what often happens now is that organizations say that they want to have more diversity, but they either don't quite know how to go about doing it or they don't do much more than simply saying that they want to achieve it. And we know from research that that doesn't actually yield results. So I think when it comes to an organizational standpoint, there are steps that can be taken and those steps can include actually sharing this responsibility for creating more diversity and, ironically, doing some of the things that black doctors are doing themselves without the benefit of institutional support. Organizations can put into place mentoring and sponsorship programs where they actually make sure that interested candidates of color have the resources and networks and support that they need in order to advance into the profession and get the sort of relationships that are critical for um, forming ties and getting into the job and advancing in the job in the first place. Organizations can also be responsible for doing more community outreach and making sure that they are reaching out to communities of color who may not have the access to the facility in the first place. Organizations can also make sure that there are consequences and standards in place for how patients are treated so that it's not just acceptable or looks the other way when practitioners stereotype, again, low income patients of color as being people who are modeling or who are just there seeking drugs instead of actually seeking care. And those are just a few things that organizations can do. I think that there are also policy changes that can happen. We can strengthen our support for uh, doctors and their ability to use their professional organizations. We can strengthen our support for unions and collective bargaining. We can strengthen our support for women in the workplace in terms of paid leave and access to family leave and things like that that actually benefit men who take those, uh, those leaves as well. So I think that there are solutions that organizations can do, but these have to be solutions at the organizational and structural level. Because one of the things that my research has shown is that right now we have individuals trying to solve structural problems. And I just I, that doesn't seem that that works because structural problems require structural solutions
0: yeah well, what about, and I think you've written about this uh, divert, let's just take something maybe well from I'm, I'm a social worker, and I guess I, I have been involved in this, but diversity training. is that does that help? Does that work?
1: So interestingly, the research shows that diversity trainings actually don't move the needle in terms of improving the numbers of racial minority men and women of all races at high ranks in private sector corporations. And part of this can be because diversity trainings can institute backlash. They can make people feel less committed, actually, rather than more committed to wanting to change their behaviors and how they understand things. The research does show that for organizations that want to create more racial diversity, a way that they can do this is actually to bring in someone whose primary job it is to focus on these types of issues and to make them responsible for consequences, which in a way makes sense, right? Nobody wants to be fired and nobody wants to know that if they don't achieve their job that they will lose their position. But the data show that in organizations that have actually done that, brought in people whose job is to create more diversity Given those people the resources that they need in order to do their jobs and establish that those managers would face consequences if they did not create more racial and gender diversity specifically, that's actually been what has moved the needle.
0: Well, uh, what, cont- what uh, while we're talking about healthcare systems. What healthcare systems ha- specifically have moved the needle, ones that you're aware of who have done this or are doing this and are successful at it?
1: That's a great question, too. And uh, people always ask me, can you give me an example of a place where – Things have worked where there's kind of the the happy ending. And from the respondents with whom I spoke, um, none of them seem to feel as though the places where they work had achieved um, kind of these optimal outcomes. And that doesn't mean that there's not places out there that have done this. It just may mean that I didn't speak with anybody who worked at that, that type of institution. But I will say that I do think that the healthcare industry and the medical industry particularly is in a really interesting place where I think that there is a genuine commitment to addressing the racial realities that are facing our nation and wanting to change those, right? When we think about healthcare in particular, we know that the data show, for example, that uh, patients are, patients of color in particular are more likely to show improved health outcomes if they are treated by practitioners of color. There was a recent New York Times story that reported that an increase in black male physicians could actually result in improvements in life-saving treatment for more black men, that it could erase some or minimize of the racial health disparities that exist among black men. So I think that we know, and I think that the medical community is aware that there's a real concrete measurable need for improvement in racial diversity among black physicians in particular, and that as we transition to becoming a more multiracial society, this is a necessity. If the healthcare profession and the medical industry wants to continue to save lives and to do what it's instituted to do, then having more racial diversity isn't kind of, it's not kind of a fun idea anymore. It's a necessity and something that needs to happen. It's no longer an option. And I do think that the medical community is aware of that. What I think is also necessary and what I hope is something that's urged through my research and that of others is that my book presents some ideas for thinking and talking about the types of challenges that are present for black physicians and not just doctors, but nurses and technicians as well, and the types of challenges that are present for workers across the board in healthcare. So that organizations can be a little bit more mindful of exactly what challenges they are facing and use that data as a way of addressing interventions and procedures that speak to the real challenges that their employees are dealing with today.
0: Well, let's take the nurses and the technicians. Now, do they have, obviously, they have different skills. It's different than a physician. Uh, Do they have different issues? Uh, Are are there very specific different issues that they're wrestling with, Uh, black nurses, black technicians, as opposed to the physicians?
1: Yeah, one of the things that was really interesting about this research is how much racial experience changes depending on the occupation of the person in question. So one of the things that I learned was that black doctors experiences in a lot of ways are very dissimilar from what black nurses experience and nurses experiences are very dissimilar from what black technicians experience. And even though all groups all of these groups are racial minorities in their various professions, their experience as minorities is very very different. So Uh, Whereas I mentioned that doctors take on this work of trying to um, do a lot of mentoring and doing clinics and uh, things like that, of making sure that patients are treated respectfully, they're able to take some of these steps because in the hierarchy of the healthcare industry, they have the most clout and the most status and the most prestige. And that enables them to do things like set up these clinics and to be very uh, aware of the ways that patients are treated and to intervene. Nurses did not always feel as though they had the same status and the same ability to take on some of these outsized roles. So what I found was that nurses were more likely to try to change their workplaces by casting themselves as change agents. And they were people who really wanted to focus on creating change for patients and being very attuned to the experiences that patients particularly, again, Black patients encountered in the healthcare system because of the awareness of how race meant that black patients could be treated very differently. So nurses saw themselves much more as patient advocates. When it came to technicians, they are lower in the healthcare hierarchy, so to speak, than doctors or nurses. So they also weren't in a position where they could take on as many of the solutions as doctors did but that didn't stop them from trying to do things within their purview to try to make improvements in how black patients could experience the healthcare system. And that took the form, again, of trying to work with patients closely when they could, trying to advocate for patients with nurses who were above them in the healthcare hierarchy, trying to leverage any sort of cultural connections or ties that they had to make sure that if patients from low-income environments who were also black were being um, misunderstood or not uh, uh, not being clearly understood or heard, uh, trying to make sure that they could use their cultural uh, cultural ties to make sure that they could explain what those patients might need or want or be asking for to the nurses who, they, uh, who technicians sometimes reported an answer to. So I did find that uh, race mattered differently for black workers depending on their jobs, but I did find across the board that doctors, nurses, and technicians worked in their own ways to try to improve outcomes for um, uh, black patients and depending on their occupational status, on, to improve conditions for black workers as well.
0: Adia, well, did you find any, uh, were there any just surprises that, or that a surprise that, that, when you're doing your research that, that stood out that you really didn't expect in, in, in terms of, you know, after you, well, when you were writing the book?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. There were a few things that surprised me. One, uh, like I mentioned, had to do with how much um, occupational status mattered and how much being in a different job affected the outcomes and the experiences that black workers had. Another thing that surprised me was the response that many black women nurses had to ways that race affected their work in medicine and how much that reflected gender and I talk about this in the book in the chapter on black doctors, when I talked with a lot of uh, black women doctors about how they felt that race had an impact on their work, a lot of them argued that gender really stood out to them as being the more significant factor that affected the everyday dynamics of their work. And I think the reason for this is that for black doctors, uh, for a couple of reasons, I think that direct um, kind of overt racial encounters, what we might think of as microaggressions, are not a daily part of black doctors, most black doctors' experiences in the ways that they describe them to me. And I think that because those daily microaggressions are um, a little more um, infrequent and because they recede into the background for black women doctors, the ways in which they do encounter very daily and frequent experiences with sexism in the workplace in the forms of people assuming that they are nurses, people assuming, sometimes coworkers, assuming that they're not really serious about medicine, Um, a kind of internal bias in the profession that assumes that women doctors are simply going to leave and have a baby and not be as serious about the profession as their counterparts who are men. A lot of black women doctors describe the way that gender really had a direct, personal, front and center, kind of visceral, um, experience for them in the profession in ways that surprised me because I just wasn't, I didn't expect that they would talk as much about that as they did particularly, um, when my interviews were much more or started off being much more about how I thought race would affect them. So I found that to be an interesting, if unfortunate uh, component of the interviews, because it means that the medical industry still has a lot of work to do when it comes to being a place where women of all races can thrive and succeed.
0: Yeah. It's interesting you say that because in some ways I'm not surprised. I, as a woman, um, I, especially as I age, my choice is to have a female doctor, and I feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I feel just that you know, she's going to understand me. Uh, and I've sort of ended up. I think probably all my doctors, and I don't go to many, but they're all women. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And again, yeah. that it's interesting that you it's interesting that you say that because similarly to how I was pointing out that the research suggests that an increase in black doctors could uh, reduce existing racial health disparities, another recent study showed that having more women in emergency rooms could actually significantly save a number of lives because women simply, uh, for whatever reason, have a different style and approach to practicing medicine. I believe the study showed that, uh, I can't remember the number offhand, but a certain number of uh, heart attacks would actually be prevented with more women doctors present in emergency rooms because of the way that they ask different questions and take a different approach to the practice. So it's something to be said for this argument about more uh, racial and gender diversity in medicine. I think that this is really an area where we have to take seriously the advantages that more racial and gender diversity can bring in this profession because we are literally talking about life or death outcomes. Yeah,
0: well it's interesting I'm thinking about my doctors I have they're all different uh different races they're all women but one is Muslim one is black one is white I mean you know that's the variety but the sort of the common denominator is that they're all women that's just right. anecdotal but right yeah sharing that with you yeah it's interesting so in the court so the what what's been the response to you I mean you teach at a university you're at uh, Washington and St. Louis uh, from your students, from your female students, I'd be.
1: So I, the book just came out this summer, so I have not assigned it in my classes and shared it with many of my students, but I have shared it at other universities to get feedback. And so far, the response has been uh, very favorable, which is really good, and particularly from people who are in the healthcare field, uh, which is the best compliment you can get when you do research like mine, when people in their professions that you didn't interview uh, come up to you and say, yeah, this this is about right. You got it. This is what we what we go through. So I felt really good that I think I was able to capture what the experience of these workers is like and also to highlight some of the structural challenges that they face. But again, I do hope that one of the things that will come out of writing the book is that it will get some attention from people who are in the healthcare community, in particular people who are in medicine, who might be poised to think through what these findings mean about the ways in which the environment that uh, healthcare workers labor in are structured and ways that they could be restructured to be more uh, effective and more inclusive and more welcoming to people who are black doctors and uh, people who are underrepresented in the profession. Yeah.
0: Well, it's certainly an important topic. We only—I mean—and uh, a great book, and one that I do recommend. And I want to to uh, read the title again: "Flatlining Race, Work, and Healthcare in the New Economy." It's an important book. Adia Harvey is the author. She's a professor of sociology at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, and it, websites that we can go to to find out well to buy the book uh, and to also. Uh, keep abreast of what you're doing in terms of your research or new books that are going to come out?
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) The book is available pretty much uh, any place where books are sold. You can access it online and find it there. Um, I'm on Twitter and can be followed at Adia, A-D-I-A-H, Wingfield, W-I-N-G-F-I-E-L-D. And I usually try to update my speaking engagements and appearances like this there. So I'm happy to um, share that information with people. Great.
0: Great talking to you today, and I have to say I have watched a lot of your appearances and some of your lectures on YouTube, so I recommend uh, my audi- my uh, listeners to go to some of those too. They can just uh, Thanks. Go- yeah, Thank Google you. Thank you so it. much. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.